All right, we're back with another episode of Pearl Snap Tactical. It's Mark, and with me again is Alex, riding shotgun, also the prettiest... <laughs> The prettiest man ever inducted into Ranger Regiment. I can't even say it with a straight face. Broadcasting from an undisclosed site south of the Mason-Dixon line, this is Pearl Snap Tactical. Alright, and we are back with another episode of Pearl Snap Tactical podcast i'm your host mark and back with me is alex alex how you doing pretty good how you doing this morning good 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 to see you brother so we got an exciting episode today we're going to be talking about the big five when it comes to concealed carry uh, holders the big five is the the top five skill sets you need to build to help you handle pretty much most of the situations you're going to find yourself in. You know, Alex, you and I were talking and we kind of looked through this list and we talked through it and agree that if concealed carry holders would really cultivate these big five things, they're really going to be a leg up on most of the threats that they're likely to encounter out there. But if they don't build these three or five skill sets, they're going to be lacking and may get in trouble if they were ever called upon to protect themselves or a family member, right? Yeah, and, and these uh, these big five, they kind of take care of the what if questions. Uh, I know we run into those a lot when we're teaching classes, you know, what if this, what if that? But if you apply these five, uh, five skills here, um, those what if questions kind of go away. Yeah, and you know, that that's part and parcel of the human experience, right? Anytime we learn something and you pick up a skill, I mean, you and me included, there's always when it's new and it hasn't been tested, we always wonder, you know, do do I have it right? Do, do I have what it takes? If I have a problem, whether it's an academic test or uh, skills-based or whatever it is, it's like, do, do I have my stuff together to prevail or pass this test or whatever? And then when that, that seeps in, it's like you said, the what ifs. Well, what if I'm? What if it's a, a vehicular ambush, or wh- what if it's at night, or you know, what if I get caught out somewhere and I'm not armed, or what if he has, you know, and and people roll through it. But again, coming back to being principle based in your approach to preparedness, if you focus on these big five, you're pretty much gonna be have a baseline preparedness to handle just about anything. Yeah, and, and I mean, for for me, when I instruct or I teach anything or I learn anything for that matter, if I know the why and the principles behind it, I can apply it to anything throughout life. Bingo. You know? Let's talk about why, like you said, the why. So a lot of times when someone gets a gun, of course, we're talking about concealed carry holder stuff. Ask yourself, why are you doing it? So why are you carrying a weapon, right? Why are you going out to get your concealed carry permit if you haven't done so, or if you already have it, why do you maintain it? And why do you carry a weapon? I think most people are going to tell you that, well, I want to protect myself, right? I want to protect other people. So boom, right then and there, you could say, well, if those are my goals, now I understand that some of the skills I might get that are related to carrying this weapon may not even be gun handling skills, right? Right. Yeah. So not. keep that in mind as we go through this list. I think 
some people are going to be surprised when they when they hear us talk about these big five. I do too. I yeah. Do too. Yeah. Thanks for agreeing with me. So oh, anytime. <laughs> All right. Makes let's jump easier. into it. Let's, yeah, it's a lot easier that way. All right, let's jump into it. So number one on the big five is weapon handling skills, right? Whether you're a beginner or an advanced uh, weapons or gunfighter or concealed carry holder, whatever you want to call it, however you refer to yourself, you, you're always working on this, correct? Always. Yes. I, I mean, daily. Yeah, so there's there's things you've got to know. Now it may look different if you're a beginner versus you're an advanced. So gun handling skills. When you hear that word, what are some things that you either want to train people on or you're thinking about for yourself? Well, the one of the first biggest things, uh, especially with new gun owners, <coughs> uh, owners is uh, weapon safety. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to unload, reload, uh, and manipulate the weapon or use the weapon the way it was designed, learn what all the buttons are. That's one of the biggest things, um, you know, loading the mags correctly. Mm -hmm. I, I take that for granted sometimes. Uh, I was teaching a guy the other day and he was like, well, how do I load the thing? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's start from here then. You know, yeah, that's, a, that's right. a great starting point. Um, then you move on to uh, drawing presentation. You know, because you're carrying a weapon concealed, you need to be able to, to mm -hmm. clear your clothing uh, and present the weapon and uh, to the target. So, mm -hmm. well, I mean, what do you think about that? What, what are some of the things you would think of? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think <clears throat> all this can be dialed, it can be kind of encapsulated in this statement. I think it's just time on the gun that, you know, training and working through these things, just like you said, <clears throat> being able to draw and present to get hits on target, to deal with reloads, and to deal with any kind of jams or malfunctions of the weapon, right? right? And so that's gonna look a lot different when you're someone who's a first-time gun owner or first-time gun buyer versus somebody like you and me that's kind of been at it for a little while and have yeah. a little bit of experience. Yeah, and if you've been at it for a little while and you've got those down, that's when you move on to moving with the weapon. Yes. Uh, yeah. Being able to uh, transition uh, between covers, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, or and and increasing your speed, right? And, exactly. And your fluidity and and manipulating the weapon too. And so I think from a beginner standpoint, you come to it, and you know what you and I would see in class a lot is for new gun owners, and rightfully so. There's a little. Uh, you know, I hate to use the term gunshot, but they're a little timid with the weapon, as they right. should be, right? Because they got to treat it with respect. You know what this thing's capable of. So you have to get over that. You can't ever move and develop the skill set you want if you don't spend time on this gun, practicing it and practicing safely, you know, preferably under the supervision of somebody who's 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 credentialed and, and experienced. But but dry fire, but all that. So I think we kind of hit that one really, really good. And I also think that's probably the most obvious skill that people are going to need to know, right? Right. It, yes. Um, you know, I talk about primary and secondary tasks mm -hmm. uh, when handling the weapon. Your primary tasks are trigger squeeze and uh, sight picture. And everything else is a secondary task. So increasing that speed of your secondary tasks gives you more time 
to perform your primary test. Right. And it's not just you that talks about it. I talk about it too. So there. I, where'd you get it from? <laughs> I think I got it from you. Okay. <laughs> moving on. All right. We're going to number two, low light environments, right? Or being comfortable in the dark. Yes. You That's half the day. Yeah. So you had something that, you know, y'all, t- you told me y'all said in, in Ranger Battalion, which was whatever you can do in the day, you got to be able to do at night. Exactly. So talk about that a little bit. So uh, for me, uh, I, I think the first time I got introduced to this was uh, we run most of our missions at nighttime. And uh, we were out on a mission walking out uh, and my uh, night vision battery died. And I was, it was cold out. My hands weren't working the way they normally should. I, had, I spent probably a minute or two trying to fiddle with it to get that, uh, get that battery out. And it was while we were walking. Well, um, when I got home that night, uh, I spent some time in a locker. Um, uh, this was not voluntary. This was, uh, <laughs> it's in the army, in the army, what we call remedial training, remedial training. Yeah. So, it does. Uh, it, it means you messed up. I messed up. So I was, I spent some time, I think it was about four hours in a, in a locker blacked out, uh, until I got to where I could change my night vision battery out in, uh, 20 seconds or less. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we all know I'm a little bit older than you by, by a month or two. And so when I was coming into the army, uh, on my first, my first tour night vision, it just wasn't as prolific or the technology just wasn't what it is today. And so most of the time, you know, starting out, we just didn't have access to it. And when we did, uh, it was very clunky. Um, you know, the best options we had were, you know, maybe a a starlight scope or something like that. But the point was there was a lot of walking around doing stuff operationally without any night vision at all. And so there were things of learning to be, you know, what we talked about is developing and protecting your night vision. Right. You know what I mean? So like parachute flare comes up and illumines the night, you close one eye and so that you don't mess up your night vision. Right. And I'm sure, you know, and and we still talk about that today. Right. And, but the point is, is that that is so on point with civilian, with concealed carry holders, because think about, especially during the time of season or the region of the United States that you live in, think about how many hours of the day are dark. Right. I mean, during the wintertime, you get off of work, it's pretty much dark. And we all know, like, most crime happens at night. So Yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. So, you know, flashlight skills, um, like, I carry a flashlight every day. I know you've done a couple podcasts over, uh, you know, carrying a flashlight, mm-hmm. which that that's a big piece of kit and a very, uh, very prominent thing for everyday carry. So thinking about all we said about number one, draw and presentation at night or in reduced visibility, reloading with when you can't see that well, you know, can you reload in the dark? Can you reload with a flashlight in your hand? Yep. And, and uh, being able to diagnose malfunctions by feel. Yes. Yes. It's huge. Oh, you got me excited on that I one. Know. Go ahead. <laughs> preach that one. So uh, a lot of times when you have uh, malfunctions, whether it's with a rifle, which, you know, mainly I, I deal with rifles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, for instance, uh, bolt override, you've got a dead trigger. 
um, you know, double feed or something like that. They create your triggers not dead in a double feed, right? Mm -hmm. So you eject the mag finger the uh, mag well, and the rounds pop out. Reinsert mag, you're good to go. So uh, same thing with a pistol. If you don't feel that thing cycle the way, and you don't hear metal on metal contact, mm -hmm. like you're, you know, a round has not been successfully loaded in the chamber, so you yeah. need to do something about it. Yeah. So again, that kind of goes back to number one when we were talking about time on the gun. Exactly. You, know, you need time on the gun shooting to where, you know, you can feel and you and I when we're shooting our ARs, and I know not to, get, but same thing with the pistol, you can feel it the bolt lock back you yeah, can feel the slide change. yeah you know the thing you know you and i have shot enough and have developed that sensitivity that we know we're empty without looking at the gun mm -hmm. that is something that you really need to dive deep into and you don't need to if you're like well where do i go to a low light class where do i go you do need to seek out some training but there's so much stuff you can do at home home Dude, if you get up in the middle of the night to go get a drink of water, all right, so you, you've navigated in a low-light condition. Now, just take your dry-fire training, observing all your rules of safety, right, that you normally do in the day when you're dry-firing, and just do that in a darkened room. Do it in a low-light room. Do it with your handheld flashlight, with your weapons light, and make sure you can do all of the things that you do when you're at the range or when you're dry fire practicing that you do in the daytime, that you can do that in reduced visibility. Now, some of that might look different. If you got a flashlight in one hand and you're practicing your drawing presentation one-handed, well, now how are you gonna reload? How are you gonna clear malfunction? So you've got a whole, like a whole new curriculum you can develop for yourself just working through doing the things you do in the daytime. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it's using the things you already know in a different atmosphere. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And so once you get dialed in on that, then man, you go to somebody else's class and stuff and you know, they may, they may kind of dial you in, maybe some things you were doing, they'll show you how to do a little bit more efficiently, but you're gonna kind of get over that shock of being in a new environment that you've never been in you know, where you can't concentrate as much. So you're going to get more out of that person's class. Right. And, and that's one of the things that makes, uh, that takes a, uh, a, an average shooter to an advanced shooter. Mm -hmm. Advanced shooter is being able to apply all the basics without thinking about it, where it turns into a reflex. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Number three is tactical proficiency. And this is a big one. This is huge. Yeah. What, what, what is this to you? Like, what do you think when you think being tactically proficient? Okay. So is if the weapon handling, number one, is my skill. Now we move to tactical proficiency, and that is the knowledge I have by which to apply the skill. And there are two. You got to have them both. And exactly. A lot of folks think in terms of, you know, when you start talking tactics, their first thing is thinking about room clearing. And that's only one, that's like one that's piece one of aspect. Yeah, yes. that is one aspect. Right. And, and you know. that, you know, that's a, uh, that's only one. Uh, we call them yeah. battle drills. Which, yes. A battle drill is a collective action rapidly executed without applying a deliberate decision-making process, which uh -huh. means to me that it's a reflex. 
you, you don't have to think about what you're going to do. You just do it. Given right. a stimulus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's think about and how we're going to take this and then apply it to a concealed carry holder. So you think about the mission of an inf- of a, a rifle squad, an infantry rifle squad, right? Their mission is to locate and close with in close combat with, and destroy the enemy by means of fire and maneuver. Yep. I kind of dinked that up a little bit, but I mean, that's the essence of what it is. Hey, it's pretty close. Um, yeah, <laughs> close enough. So think about what that means. So that includes everything that, everything that that definition entails. So that means how we move in relation to the enemy. So the threat is there. Am I going to break contact and try to get out like I would how is often advised in active shooter situations? Am I going to try to get out of dodge? Well, there's a way to do that so that you don't get shot in the back. Exactly. What if, and I always use this in classes, I've said this on the podcast, what if you're separated from a family member uh, at, at a shopping center and you can't run away? You need to go find your family member because they're in danger and you're the closest thing to help they probably have. Well, now you're going to have to close with that threat and eliminate it or neutralize it. How do you do that? How do you cross an open space when someone sees you and can shoot at you? How are you going to do that? How are you going to close that distance? So that that brings up a thing: situational awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, be be aware of your surroundings. And I'm not just meaning people. I'm also meaning inanimate objects like your cover. What can mm-hmm. stop bullets? What can conceal you from the attacker? Um, right. You know, that kind of yeah, stuff. So, so if you have a good idea of, you know, where you are in space and what is mm-hmm. around you that you can use, there you go. That is part. Yes. Yeah, so what we would say, like, in the infantry is having an eye for the terrain. So that, that goes for whether you're out in the woods trying to take a hill or maybe you're just by yourself on a Saturday in a shopping area in a parking lot is looking at what are my avenues of approach? What are the obstacles? What are key areas that maybe I could maneuver myself to that would give me an advantage over the threat and protect me more? All of those things. So shortly, I mean, in a way, it's just moving skillfully in relation to the threat. Or moving with the plan. Yeah, right. You didn't like skillful? Yeah, I like skillful. But, <laughs> yeah, know, but I, you're right. I'm breaking it down Barney style, you know. Yeah, right. But yeah, with a plan, having a plan. And you know, and so before we move on, I'll, I'll just kind of put, let's just put the, the bow, tie the bow on that is that is not going to happen by itself, right? You can spend hours and hours and hours on the range punching holes through paper and you can have a, you know, a split second draw and none of that is going to teach you how to move tactically you know, in a way that protects you from all attacks, in a way that keeps you from being hurt, depriving the enemy of his, of his chance to hurt you, and dominating and prevailing in the conflict. Exactly. Right? If it's a Wild West draw that everybody's practicing for, sure, yeah. But if you get into a, to a stick where you're going to have to move on somebody... Or they're trying to move on you, 
then shooting holes in paper all day is not going to protect you from this. Well, I mean, the awesome thing on that is uh, draw while moving to cover. Yeah. You know, um, get behind cover draw or, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. And so now when you're talk there, now we're talking about not discussing these big five just on their own, but you start seeing the interrelation between them. Yeah. Right. The mechanics, the skill of drawing and moving with the purpose that you talked about. So you've combined one and two. Right. Right. And so very good. Before we move on to the last two, I just want to say a word real quick while you're talking about training. This podcast is powered by our training company, Baradis Defense. If you're interested in getting not only learning the skills of how to shoot faster, more accurately, and, and to dial in on your weapons manipulation, but if you're also looking to increase your tactical education and get that proficiency that we're talking about to help prepare you, whether you're in your car, in your home, or out with your family, go to www.baritusdefense.com. That's B-A-R-R-I-T-U-S. Sign up for our newsletter. You're going to get a free program that's going to teach you how to shoot faster and more accurate from the draw. And then you're going to also be kept apprised of training dates. We travel all over the country. We're in several states. And you can even look up the, at the tab, Scheduled Events, and maybe jump on a course near you. So if you want to come out, hang out with us, train for a day or two, have a good time, and, and pick up some skills, we'd love to have you out. All right, moving on to number four. Number four, so we've talked about on the big five, weapons handling, low dealing or operating in the low light environment, tactical proficiency, and number four would be the medical piece. Medical, medical skills. Medical skills. So I think this is something that the shooting community has really done well and is doing pretty good they're, that they're getting on top of. When you think about the medical, what do you think are the big things that that a, a CCW needs to know? Uh, you know, if you can, uh, you're carrying a weapon to protect yourself, it means bullets are going to be flying. Um, we're going to teach you to shoot proficiently, uh, which, you know, there's going to be a hole in somebody. So yeah. uh, if you're able to take a life, you need to be able to save a life. Big time, and uh, that that's one of the th one of the huge things to take away from this. And I, you know, how to apply a tourniquet um, to yourself, like providing self aid on you mm -hmm. as well as you know others that may have been hit in the skirmish or whatever is is huge. So stop the bleed, big time. Pay, uh, pack a wound, apply a tourniquet. Uh, throw your Israeli on there, uh, whatever, and, and, and bandage that thing up to keep someone alive until help gets there. Yeah, and we've talked in podcasts before about what type of tourniquets and maybe where to source those things, so we won't repeat that. But yeah, uh, I know people that, you know, personally, that have come up on a traffic accident and had a tourniquet in their glove box and jumped out and saved a life. Uh, they applied a tourniquet to someone. I mean, no gunshot, just a car wreck where a person was bleeding and bleeding out. And 
they put a tourniquet on them and got them to the hospital and saved that person's life. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Yeah. So yep. it goes back to what you mentioned before is what's your goal of carrying a weapon? And if your goal of carrying a weapon is to save your life and, or the life of someone else, then the, the gun is just the tool. Right. The gun is just a tool, and that tool is not always going to be the right one for the job. So the tourniquet could be a tool, and if our ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is not to carry a gun, the ultimate goal is to save somebody's life, then you, you, they're almost inseparable. I don't think that you have any business really carrying a gun if you can't do simple first aid, i.e. stop the bleed on somebody. Right. I think. I, I, mean, I agree. I agree so, with that completely. And number five, the big five of every that every concealed carry holder needs to develop is fitness. And you just made a lot of people angry. I know, I know, I know. And we probably had a third of them drop off. Okay, let. But hang on, hang on. So when we talk about fitness, we're not we're talking about a functional fitness. Fitness yes. is kind of a lightning rod with people, and you kind of see it when they come to class. You can pretty much divide everybody into two groups. Those that are working out, they love it. It's just their lifestyle. They enjoy doing it. And then you got those that don't. They just don't. And so that's fine. When we talk about fitness, that doesn't mean you don't have to do CrossFit. You don't have to bench press 500 pounds. You don't have to squat. We're not talking about that stuff. You don't have to run a marathon. I, I mean, that, exactly. that's me. I freaking hate running. You, yeah, you see me running, you better catch up because my gun's I'm, empty. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. We're talking about a functional fitness. Alex, what, like, what do you think of when you're talking in terms of what do you like to see with folks as far as their ability with fitness? I like to see people that are able to get up and get down off the ground without the use of their hands. Because if you can do that, you can get behind cover, you can get small behind cover, and you can get up quickly. Um, that, that's probably the biggest thing for me is having that little bit of flexibility and mobility that you can get down behind cover and you can get up and down off the ground without the use of your hands. Because if you think about it, you have a gun in your hands you're not going to have the use of your hands to get up off the ground without putting a gun down, putting a gun on the ground, or putting it in some weird position to where it is unsafe for you or somebody else if that gun were to go off. So I think it would be huge to be able to get up and get up, get up and get down off the ground without the use of your hands. I, I agree with you too. I think that's something that everybody should aspire to with their abilities because everybody's got different body sizes and by the time you get older you know just like you and me that we've had some surgeries and you know you got some folks who may have disabilities so it might not be a it's some that's why i say something you should aspire to if you can to to the best of your ability but now you said with you're gonna have a gun in your hands what about like say with someone someone says with the pistol well i've got it in one hand and as long as i'm not pointing it at my head or someone else that don't need it pointed at what's the harm in me using my hand to push to stabilize myself or to help me get out of the prone or off the kneeling position or something like that which you can uh that and, and 
I do. I use one hand, but I'm very cognizant of where I put the weapon. Mm -hmm. If I have to use both hands to get up or something similar, then what are you doing with the with the weapon? Okay. Whether it be rifle or pistol, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. point post sprawl is the main way to get down with the rifle. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And that keeps the rifle oriented in a safe direction. When you have a pistol, it's the same thing. You can still use the point post sprawl to get in the prone if you need to get in the prone with a pistol. But what if uh, what if you get knocked down? Mm -hmm. yeah. Where, where's that pistol going? Right. Like, are you keeping it tied into your body or are you just flailing like, uh, you know, that that tube you see outside the wacky yeah. inflatable tube band. Right. So getting off the ground. So we'd say at a minimum, you know, with at least with just one hand, like dot two. Cause I have, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I have seen folks who they'll get down on the ground and getting down one thing. But when it comes up, they have to put both hands on the ground on the ground and the gun goes down on the ground. And it's, it's really not an optimum thing. No. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, you can uh, hit a button you don't want to. You can unseat the slide. You can mm -hmm. uh, do a number of things. That way, when you get up, uh, the gun won't fire like it's supposed to. Then you go into your uh, uh, remedial actions for a malfunction. Yeah. Um, well, and that kind of rolls into kind of into what I think of when I think of fitness. I think of just being able to move efficiently and get into the positions that you need to quickly. Yep. So what we say at our class, if you're mobile, stay mobile. If you're not mobile, get mobile. So we're not a huge fan of getting into the prone as far as an individual goes or getting to a kneeling position because it makes you less mobile. Now, you might have to do that. You might need to do that because of the cover. And, and also, it always, you know, the relation of, of you to the threat always, the situation dictates, as, as they say. But... If you do have to get down, you need to get down quick. And yes. if you need to get up, you need to get up quickly. And so the biggest issue I see, especially when people have to put both hands on the ground to push them up, it's because they don't have the strength and the flexibility of their joints to get up quickly or to spring up. They don't have any kind of explosive power, which means it takes them twice as long to get up, which makes them more vulnerable. Right. Right. Because... I mean, you just know from experience yourself just how quickly these things go. Fast. And you don't have a lot of time, a certain level of flexibility and strength that allows you to move. So how right. you get there, what your regimen is that gets you there could vary, but I think you need to do that. Right. And I, I mean, I don't think of me differently, but like I, I, I like yoga. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do a lot of yoga because they're good functional movements that uh, give you the core stability and core strength to move into and out of a lot of those positions. <coughs> yeah, my big favorite that I like to do, you remember uh, a couple years ago, you and I were out at the range and I was in the midst of rehabbing some tendonitis in my knee. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to do some things like going down to kneeling and doing some stuff in the prone, but I was just having problems. I was like, man, this just hurts. And so I was trying to rehab it. Well, what I figured out is I started, uh, you know, on an unrelated matter doing full body squats where I would go down into a full body squat and hold it for two minutes. And I started doing that every morning. Now I didn't start out being able to do it for two minutes. 
and I'd have to hold on, you know, but I worked myself down to there. And then I got to where I was doing it two or three times a day. And what that did, the, you know, unintended consequence of that was that it unlocked my hips and it unlocked my ankles. So then all of a sudden, all the knee tension was gone. The pain, I mean, the pain in my knee was gone. And so I could jump down and not only could I get down and crouch down low and get down in a prone or a kneeling position, I could spring out of it very quickly. And so a lot of folks will say, oh, I've got 50 year old knees or it's this or that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But a lot of it is inflexible ankles and hips. And so those are the things that drive you to the ground and drive you back up. And if those things are tight and dysfunctional, then all that stress is going to be shifted to your knees. And I'm not a medical professional, so but that does account for a lot of people's problems. There's a lot of folks that think they got old knees. Really what they do is have stiff joints in their stiff, ankles and hips. Stiff head. joints, that's mm-hmm. a big thing. You can regain a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm an example of that. Yeah, by re- rehab, prehab yeah. type exercises. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of that stuff can be done without anything. You can just do it in your home when you wake up in the morning. And that's, I, I encourage you to do that because first thing in the morning, you get out of bed, go through a stretch flow mm-hmm. of, of some type. And uh, when you do it every day, you regain a lot of that flexibility. Yeah, yeah, bingo, bingo. Um, all right, let's move on to our Q&A, but uh, recap our, our top five. I think everybody's got them memorized by now. But number one, we talked about weapons, handling skills from either a beginner getting over the timidity of the gun, you know, handling it safely to more advanced, which is now you're moving for speed and efficiency and greater accuracy. Moving into low light. Dealing with reduced visibility, whatever you can do at day, got to do at night. Tactical proficiency, that is all of you know, moving skillfully with a plan in relation to a threat. You know? And so also with your, your decision making, it's how you do it. It's how you apply the skills from one and two. Yep. Then we talked about the medical piece. At a minimum, you don't have to go to paramedic school, but you should be able to know how to throw a tourniquet on and and pack a wound until some professional who knows more can get there and finish it out. And then fitness. We're not trying to turn people into, into a CrossFit champ or anything. We're just trying to get you to where you can move in and out of positions that you will likely find yourself in a life or death situation. I mean, that's one of the things. If you're uh, if you're shooting from a normal position, you're not moving fast enough. Yeah, you're right. Right. You know, or using cover properly. Right. Because, and I'll I'll leave it at this. If if all you do is train statically, that means I'm just squared up at a target. That's all I do, and I can punch holes. If if all you if you are static, and you come up against a threat that has any type of skill and acumen, you will be found. You will be fixed and you will be eliminated. Yeah. You're, you're a marksman and not a gunfighter. Yep. yep. Full stop. Bingo. You're a, yeah. You, it's not enough to be a marksman. You got to be a gunfighter. So by you, by utilizing these big five, that will lay your baseline to get you there. All right. All right. Hit me with some questions. All right. We are going to go into the mailbag. We've got this one from 
let's say Bruce from Michigan. Bruce wants to know, how do I defend myself in a wide open space like a field or a parking lot? Well, bingo, this sounds like number three, don't it? Yeah, sounds like number three and uh, a little bit of number one in there. Yeah. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and take that? So, uh, Bruce, yeah, moving through a field, uh, tactical proficiency is going to cover most of that. It's uh, being able to analyze your terrain and see what you've got around you for cover. Uh, that's, a, that's a big thing, especially if you're in a field. A, uh, a small depression in, in the terrain will give you cover from bullets mm -hmm. if you flop down in that, uh, in that depression. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's all about using what you've got available to you. Right. To the which of your advantage. Yeah. Which again, implicates number five, doesn't it? Being able to get yep. down there, you know, can I get down and get low, like a, on my belly if I need to, can I do that quickly? Or am I going to drop like a sack of potatoes, you know, and then have to kind of augment my way into, into there. It's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to instantaneously do it. Yeah, I, I mean, getting down is the easy part. Gravity helps you. Yeah, up, yeah. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but um, you know, I also would would what you got anything else on that before I jump in? No, go ahead and jump in. Um, when I look at that, it it goes back to principle being principle based. So the way that I deal with the parking lot or a field is going to be the same way that I deal with being in a wood line, being in a home, it's just gonna look different. It goes back to when you gave the de definition of a battle drill. The things we learn in battle drills are just kind of these set routines that we practice so much that are applicable in a variety of situations and we train them to the degree that it's just, it, it's automatic. So it's like, boom, you take contact. What's the first thing you do, right? You're going to move to cover. You, you're going to return fire. You're going to either break contact or close with, right? That's the same. And as you move to cover, you might be returning fire at the same time. Some of these can be simultaneous, but, you know, if, if we list them out, if we had to make a list, it's move to cover, return fire, and then counterattack or break contact, right? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I would say the, the reacting to whatever contact it is is probably the most important because that's what everything else stems off of. Right. Yeah. So how you react to that contact, whether you're able to see where it's coming from, if you haven't been able to see where it's coming from, but the most important thing is the return to cover. Then you decide whether or not you're going to engage that target or not, whether it's tactically uh, uh, relevant for you to engage at that point in time, or, you know, hold off, give that tactical pause, reassess your situation and figure out what you're going, what your next move is. That's the same, whether you like we said, you're in the woods parking lot or, or a field or, or a building, it just looks different in the application. It just looks right. different. But the, the methodology is the same. All right, um, we're kind of running up on time here. Let's get to our next one. This one is from Todd from Kansas. He said, how do I stay focused during dry fire? Like, okay, so every, anything can become monotonous over time. Uh, we got, you know, humans are having shorter and shorter attention spans. Or some days you just don't feel it, right? So how do you keep yourself focused when you got a lot of other things going on? 
What do you do? Well, Todd, for me, I, um, one of the things I do is set a timer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I block out 10 minutes and I work over whatever I'm going to do with, with that day. So I have a plan of what I'm going to attack that day, what I'm going to work on that day, whether it's draw one day, uh, reloads, malfunctions, uh, whatever. I set my timer for 10 minutes and, uh, you know, I get those draws in and I do them with a sense of urgency. I try to keep speeding it up, speeding it up, uh, handle the weapon like a professional. There you go. All right. So yeah. uh, what I mean by that is, is each rep you do, do like you would if you were in that situation. Get your draw as quick as you can. Get to, you know, clear your clothing as quick as you can. Um, you know, all that stuff. So handle the weapon like a professional. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same boat with you. I always set a timer. It, I th- I'm like this. People will do what is easy and convenient. Inconvenient. That's me included. So I set a timer. I don't do it alone. I would rather have five, ten-minute sessions in a week than one one-hour session in a week. I mean, exactly. I just would. I think I think that is better for you because it gives your brain a night's uh, sleep to process and to build those neuro, neural pathways to develop that quote-unquote muscle memory. And the more rep, the more frequency, I think frequency is important than duration. So that helps me when I get distracted or if I have another project I'm working on and I'm not feeling it that day and I'm like, man, I really need to be working on something. It helps when I have a short like 10 minutes that when my mind starts wondering, I can bring it back and say, hey, look, man, I've got four minutes left. Let's do it. Right. Boom. Yep. And, it, and it brings me back to it because I know I don't have to I don't have 30 minutes or 40 minutes left if I'm trying to do an hour. And then like you, I have a goal. I have what I want to do. I get in and I do it and I change it up and it makes it interesting and it's easier to stay focused. Easier to stay focused and you focus more on quality of rep rather than quantity. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So uh, last one. This was real quick. This is from Steve. From Pennsylvania, Steve's a good friend of ours. Steve, uh, what's up, Steve? Steve-o. Steve asked me by text one day, he's like, where did Pearl Snap come from? So the quick story on why we call this Pearl Snap Tactical is this actually came out of Kansas. Uh, Alex and I were running uh, a two-day course out in Kansas together, and we had a buddy up there that helped set that, that made that happen for us. And on day... Day two, uh, Alex and I would, you know, if y'all can't tell, we kind of live in the southern region. And so one of the things you're born with is you're born with a dip in your mouth and a pearl snap shirt. That's what they send you home from the hospital in. And so on the second day, we had pearl snap shirts on. And, you know, we're out there teaching the class and doggone one of our buddies was like, oh, it's pearl snap tactical. He's like, start calling us the Pearl Snap Brothers. And I looked and I, we got tickled about it. I was like, man, that is the coolest thing I ever heard. I'm going to name something after that. So anyway, that's where, that's the origin story. It's just kind of us. And uh, just like we said, it's warrior culture with the twang. So yeah. that's it. And I look good in a Pearl Snap. So I mean, <laughs> you can't go wrong there. Forced to be reckoned with. <laughs> yeah. They're just going to take your word on that since they can't see you. But, <laughs> but anyway, if you're still with us, thanks for listening. 
If you like what we're putting out, would you please tell one of your friends, just tell a buddy, just say, hey man, check this out, share it, like it, uh, leave us a comment. That really helps, especially in Apple iTunes, if you're listening there, leave a comment. So anyway, comments and questions, shoot the questions this way. We love answering questions. Yeah. Send us some questions at info at baritus.com and we will read them on your air. Just include your name and your state. We like to uh, give a shout out to wherever region you're from. Uh, We will not use your last name as you can tell. So, all right, that's all. So on behalf of me and Alex, we're going to sign up and until next time, keep it pro snapped.